0: It is time for Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington right here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Coming up on episode 29, the show gets started with Oliver Maroney, an editor of the Big Three. Ice Cube calls him the Woj of the League, and he's joined the show to get into all the excitement and what we can expect for the upcoming 2020 season. The schedule was just recently announced, and we're talking about the growth and innovation that Ice Cube and the Big Three are bringing to three-on-three basketball. And then we get into the U.S. Women's National Team as Caitlin Murray, an author of the book, The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed the Game, and journalist working with Yahoo, the Guardian, and ESPN, talks about her book, which interviews over 100, 100, yes, 100 U.S. women's soccer players that have been a pivotal part of the growth of the game over the last few decades. So, we're talking about the growth of not only women's soccer, but all women's sports. And in our positive vibes only segment this week, joining us from Australia, we've got Shivala. He nearly died at the age of 19 in a car accident. He is talking about the work he's doing to bring peace not only to Australia, but to the entire world, teaching coaching and and trying to change the mindset of all those that he comes in contact with through his events and his teachings that he has so a lot to that we are going to be getting into this upcoming episode in 29 and of course closing it down we always have to feature a new up-and-coming artist and this week we have three artists we've got gay gay sun sun and jello keys of addiction from out of florida Addiction is the name of their band, and they are creating some incredible music, collaborating with musicians and producers, and they're closing down this week's episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington right here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. So I hope you guys are ready to sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 29.
1: It's time to go beyond the headlines Cause I don't put in overtime just so I can headline Okay, now it's Fox Sports, I'm live with Renee, Going hard every day, sports rapping every play Different segments for your favorites Coming at you daily, with positive vibes Yeah, we some game changers Basketball, football, soccer With different interviews, you never know who may pop up Listen, only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines Only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines This is the
2: Headlines with Renee Washington.
0: This week on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, we've got a very special guest joining us to talk about the Big 3. It is the woge of the Big 3, Oliver Maroney, also editor of the league. Oliver, welcome to the show.
3: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. I'm happy to have you here because it allows us to get into everything that is going on around the league, especially since the season's uh, season's schedule was just released. Season four is coming up. And take us through what you've seen as the evolution of the big three from back when it was first announced and and Ice Cube brought the idea about and, and the team brought the idea about to now as we're heading into season four.
3: Oh, my gosh. There's been so much. I mean, I think first back to, like, my first conversations with Cube and Jeff, um and it was around how this league started and obviously yesterday uh we saw the memorial service of Kobe Bryant and and part of the reason this league even exists is because of him um rest in peace to him and obviously the other people in the accident but um you know Cube saw Kobe's 60 point performance uh right before he retired and they had already had this idea in the back of their minds of starting a a three-on-three professional league and um, that game kind of fueled their fire to kind of do this quicker. And uh, right after that game is when Cube and Jeff really had uh, conversations around how the business model would look, how many teams would play, et cetera. And so I think back to that moment as kind of like uh, the this, this starting point for this league. And, you know, they get big-name guys, and this, this was initially kind of considered a uh, – not a retirement league, but uh, it was seen as, as a place where guys who had retired or who had been bounced in the NBA um, were given a second chance and a second opportunity. And now, obviously, you've seen the transition slowly but surely to a younger league, uh, more dynamic league, absolutely more competitive. And to see the triplets obviously announce that they're coming back as a full squad, to see Joe Johnson, the MVP of the league, come back, Um, it's incredible. It's, it's really cool to watch. And these guys are every season, just, just really excited and really energetic about the opportunity, not only to play in the league, but to compete. And, uh, that's something I think in season one, it it was taken a little bit lightheartedly just in the sense that guys didn't really know what to expect coming in. And now the expectation is everybody is in shape, ready to go and ready to really compete for that championship contention and, and championship spot.
0: That's that's a lot of really good points that you bring up. And, of course, talking about, you know, where it even, the, the concept and how it originated, I know there's way more in detail that we can get into. I was fortunate to be able to attend Ice Cube's panel that um, the Big Three hosted at NABJ last, last summer, and they were talking about, you know, the bringing about of the Big Three and how it was born and the ideas that really made up this league. And as you talk about what was originally some looked at as a retirement league it is not that you know you talk about reigning mvp joe johnson returning the news just broke that he's coming back to the league he was invited back into play with the pistons following last season i mean it's it's more than just a retirement league it's innovative it's paving the way it's, it's changing basketball and now we even hear um as of as of recently with the announcement earlier this winter about fireball three and the concept that making the big three and, and everything it embodies into its own entity and own sport of basketball being the fireball three. So I mean, talk to me. You're you're working on, on the inside, you know. I'm only I only have an outside perspective. But what you see from the way that it is really changing the game of not only basketball but three on three basketball to be its own entity. Just like in in soccer we have futsal and, and outdoor soccer, we have different types of soccer, you know. Across sports, there's different types of competition, but you're really breaking glass ceilings, so to speak, on how you approach three-on-three basketball.
3: Yeah, I think what we noticed is people tied our game to, like, the NBA or tied it to FIBA or tied it to something else, and it just wasn't that. And so, like, through the past two, three summers – you see kids start to say like, oh, it's fireball or oh, it's it's lit or whatever, like as the kids say. But we heard a lot (laughs) of terms like fireball and uh, that resonated with Cube. Obviously, it resonated with Jeff, our other co-founder. And that's really how this kind of started is just fans watching the game and realizing that it wasn't necessarily your FIBA three on three. It wasn't the NBA and ultimately, like our league is different, and you know, to create separation from those things, we felt it was really important to change the name of what we play, name the name of the game of what we play, and to make it our own again. So we have the bring the fire rule that comes with that. Obviously, a a coach or a team can challenge a call, and um, the, the the subsequent players that are involved in that call or play go one on one against each other. Um, the, the ball is going to be changed to a red color. So you're going to see that as well. I, I think ultimately, you know, if you see Cube's success in his career and what he's done as not only a, an actor, as a musician, as an artist, uh, he's always been the first to do a lot of things. And he's always been innovative in those strategies and those ways. And I think with the big three, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, it's almost like if you're not growing or improving, what are you doing? So, uh, we feel the same way. We always have to be innovative. We always have to be changing, um, and and growing, not just changing for the sake of change, but, but growing with that. And so, um, I think that's just part of the evolution and part of the innovation and growth in, in what we've seen. And now, since we do have such a fan base and, you know, we do sell out a lot of these arenas. This is an opportunity for us to say, hey, this is our own thing, similar to what MMA and, and UFC, it you know, kind of went into that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we're looking at as well and saying, hey, this is an opportunity for us and, and, and it really separates us from the rest. And that's not saying we don't like the NBA. We don't like other leagues. We don't like other sports. It's just to say our game is different and, it, and they really can't really be compared. Um, that, that's what it's there for.
0: Yeah, and some, and you talk about, um, you know, being a league that is, being that is innovative, and something else, uh, all, well, off still on the court. But aside from players that you have in the league, as you talk about Joe Johnson and Amari Stoudemire and Mike Bibby, there are there's an innovation in the in the people that are in charge, and that is something that I love about the league, and you know this. What Ice Cube and Jeff have been able to bring to the table to bring in so many different Sports masterminds, so many different decorated um, player, former players like Dr. J and Gary Payton, like having people like Amy Trask, Nancy Lieberman, Lisa Leslie in head coaching positions in high, you know, high-ranking positions on the board, which is something that as we have been seeing across all sports, and and our other guest this week on the show is talking about the U.S. Women's National Team for soccer, we we're seeing women, you know. Moving up the ranks and getting these positions of power. So that diversity piece, you know, not only just by race, but by gender as well, to have Lisa Leslie and Nancy Lieberman, Amy Amy Trash, three of the first names that come to mind, you know, at the forefront, this league is is doing so much for change in in all sports. And you're a part of that. And you get to see those conversations come about. I mean, talk to us about that diversity piece and really helping to promote inclusion in all aspects.
3: I mean Cuban Jeff will be the first to tell you the way they operate is who's the best for the job. Right? There isn't any conversation around gender. Like that just isn't a, isn't a conversation. It shouldn't be. And I agree with those values. And part of the reason I'm with the league is because of that. I, I agree mm. with their strategy. I agree with their approach. I think it's smart. And honestly, I think it's the difference between right and wrong. This isn't like, uh, uh to me, uh, the, the gender debate or the argument on who should get what job uh, isn't um, a debate up for discussion. It's your right or your wrong in this situation. And and to me, they're doing right. They're, they're doing what's morally and ethically right and, and what should be done in every workplace. And it's not, unfortunately. And so I think when you talk about Cube and Jeff, they are very, very vital to this whole process. They're the ones who make these decisions and these calls. And as they'll tell you just as much as I will, um, you know, like Nancy Lieberman was the most qualified person for the coaching gig. That's why she got it. It wasn't about anything else. And it's funny because I talked to, it's not funny, but when I talked to players about it, uh, like Corey McGetty or Quinton Richardson or these guys, and you say, Hey, when you were first approached about Nancy Lieberman coaching, what were your thoughts? And they said, hall of famer. Uh, Lady magic, like sign me up right now. It wasn't even a question. And that's how everybody in the league operates. And that's what I find so unique and so different is everybody is not closed minded. They're very open minded and they want the best person to get the the position. They want to see people succeed. Whether you're, you know, African-American, white, uh, it doesn't matter. Race, uh, gender, um, any of the sorts, like that just isn't a conversation. Um, and, and it's funny, because I, it, I look at it a little bit, it, it's hard to have these discussions without saying it's it's almost a little bit disrespectful to have them, but you have to have them in order to change that, right?
2: Exactly. So it's,
3: it's really difficult to kind of move the needle when, you know, you see people say, oh, Lisa Leslie, what is it like coaching men? And, and Lisa's like, I don't know how to answer that. I'm just coaching. Yeah. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I think I'm the best for the job. That's it. So it's 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 a tough conversation to have in a lot of ways, but for me, I love being a part of a league that that acts that way about it. That that knows that this is the right thing to do and ultimately it leads to success. I mean, we've seen it. There's no doubt about it. Doesn't matter if you're male or female, Lisa Leslie and Nancy Lieberman are back-to-back coaches of the year, back-to-back champions. And they're there for a reason because they're the best at what they do. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. And I think that's really important. That's something Cube always stresses and is stressed throughout his life and through work. You know, I think uh, it's funny. I, I look back to the movie, I think it's Anaconda, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it's not. It's not a good movie, uh i mean look it's 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 a little bit interesting let's put it that way that's a good way to put it (laughs) but 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 i i look back and i i heard this interview with cube and he said the only reason i did that movie is because i wanted to break a stereotype and in the script they said uh i think he says that 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 he wasn't gonna die (laughs) and he's like that's the reason i was in the movie it breaks a stereotype this is what it should be about And when they sent me that script, you know, I wasn't necessarily blown away by it, but at the same time, if they're going to, if they're going to break a stereotype and I'm going to be able to be that founding figure on on those sort of, those sort of discussions and aspects I'm in. And that's what I think is so unique and genuine about what this is and, and, and what, what the league represents is it represents, um, innovation for the good and, and change for the good. and, um, like I said, we don't really have these discussions internally. It's it's only when we're asked by like media members
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, that we have these discussions because it's just not not even a thought in our mind. Our our, our thoughts are who's the best to do this position, and, and let's go with that.
0: I love that. I love that. That's such a good point. I didn't think. Wow, I remember watching Anaconda and thinking that, um, <laughs> and being like, wow, finally the black the black person, someone that's black lives, and it is Ice Cube, of course. So you can't kill him off, but. I just it's like (laughs) it's it's incredible to see that, as you mentioned, on the inside, that's the norm for the big three. Like you are breaking stereotypes. You are as a male league that has women at the forefront instead of what we see in a lot of other sports that are trying to trying to get to that point. The benefit of having this this new innovative league that's in season four is you can now do things the right way as you talk about. And I know this over the last couple months. I've been seeing so many incredible announcements as we talk about whether it's Joe Johnson returning or the combine and draft dates being announced. Also, the age limit, the minimum age for the league lowering to 22, which is phenomenal as we talk about not being a retirement league. I mean, this is a league that is absolutely without that moving in the right direction. So the schedule was recently announced, which is partly why I wanted to bring you on to talk about it. And I'm excited because you guys are going to be right back again in the same city as NABJ this summer. So I'm looking
3: forward to it when you guys are there in D.C.
0: Go. <laughs> um, but, it
3: wasn't by accident.
0: <laughs> oh, no. That, that's what I was like. When, it, when that came out, everyone was like, is that a coincidence? And I'm like, absolutely not. This is, this is the big three we're talking about. Like, there are yeah. no coincidences. Everything is <laughs> planned. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> So, I mean, looking at the cities and, and the, the demographic, I mean, the areas, excuse me, that you guys are going to be traveling to, how did, you know, what's your thought on picking those cities? I, I don't even know how you go about with so many fans around the country. Obviously, you try to hit those, the major markets like New York, like D.C., but, you know, Miami being big too, Chicago, Memphis. It's just, I don't, I don't even know if I'd be able to pick ten. 10 major cities to get to I have no idea, but yeah, it's a huge process
3: Yeah, it, it's a big process. I'm not really fully involved in it. Um, right. you know, you know, the, the kind of internal discussions we have on it are, are pretty slim. I mean, we all discuss things, but I think really when you look at where the cities are, they're based in places that people want us in and have been asking mm-hmm. for like Memphis, And I think Jeff Quatnitz, our co-founder, tweeted out the day before the announcements, he said Memphis has been like the highest rated TV market for the big three since its inception. And so we felt a need to go there because of that. Um, You know, D.C. obviously has been a place we've wanted to go for years. And when, you know, NABJ gets announced to go there, Uh, that was earmarked. I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you. I think that was something that Cube and Jeff absolutely wanted to do, Mm -hmm. and and there was a reason for it, not only just to go to D.C. and bring guys like Gilbert Arenas back, but also to have, you know, NABJ there and to be able to possibly look at things down the line with you guys. Um, It's very important to them, you know, and and they saw the value in it last year when we went to Miami, and um, they believe in it. Uh, they, They want to to give that opportunity to people and to have them be able to come out to games and and see it live and see it in person and they, they feel it's important. So I think ultimately uh, when we when we figure out the cities, it's based on you know the market, how they look at it, how if they want it. And then secondly, the arenas, you know, there's a lot of it, it, inner workings with the arenas that you have to work out in advance. Um, You know like sponsors whether they work things of that nature so there's a lot more behind the scenes that has to happen in order for us to really uh make things make things um feasible obviously in a business standpoint financially and then also bringing it to the places that fans want it so it's a lot that's involved it's not like one thing that i can pinpoint and say hey this is the reason why and people who are (laughs) upset and disappointed we understand, you know, but we also have to have these tough conversations about, you know, where we want to go, how many times we've been to a certain city, how many times we've missed a certain city that we've meant to go to and we just we just haven't gotten a deal done with the arena. So all of that is taken into consideration and nothing's off limits for us. It's just it's, it's a lot of it is around, you know, the business model and, and if it makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense. And I know, you know, Miami last year, that was my first time ever, well, A, going to American Airlines Arena, which in itself was a cool experience, but also to, to see the big three in action in person, you know, the league has been to Philly, but I was unable to go. So personally, I know as a fan, you know, taking my media hat off, it was incredible to watch it in person. And it was, it was a a very, you know, I, as I watched the all-star game, ironically, uh, you know, when NBA All-Star Weekend just passed, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I do see, I see so many similarities when I watch All-Star and I'm like, wow, that reminds me a lot of what I saw in the Big Three. You know, that the way that each, the way that it's formatted, the way that it's just like, it's so unique to any experience you get. And I'm not just gonna say it to an NBA game, but any other sporting event, you know, any other game you go to in person, the Big Three brings something very different and very exciting. And, and even the fact that I felt like, for Jeff Quantinence and Ice Cube, I act. I feel like you guys are much more approachable and much more eas- like easier to reach, even yourself. But, you know, unlike other leagues, it might be a little bit more difficult to have these conversations, to get feedback, for fans to get feedback to the league, to be able to, you know, as you talk about with Memphis being a spot, fans were, were asking for the big three to come to, and you made it happen. You know, I, I don't know how many other leagues are able to provide that experience to fans where they can feel like their voice is heard. And I know for me, when I was at the game, I was like, this feels much more personable than than any, you know, a lot of events that I've gone to across other sports. So what can we expect this upcoming season? You know, as we're moving forward, as you talk about year four, you know, all the all the, the, the personalities and talents that are involved in the league. I'm excited to get to go to D.C. in July and check things out. But what can fans, you know, and and. And everybody else expects from the big three as we get into year four. Into the big four.
3: <laughs> there you go. Big four, big three. Uh, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's exciting. Look, I, I'm excited for the season to begin. I think this season, overall seasons, and it's probably very clear to to, to have evidence to back this up. But uh, this season, overall, other seasons, it's going to be more competitive. I think every team understands going in what needs to be what needs to be done. I mean, I even know. A lot of our guys working out in LA together. A lot of our guys working out in Atlanta together. That's where a lot of them are based and okay. they're, they've already started working out. They, they do year round stuff. Most of the time um, you see guys like Rashard Lewis doing boxing, uh, hooping, trying to get everything he can in just before the season starts and, and being prepped and being ready. And that that's ultimately uh, what I think really impacts the league is the product on the floor. And, in seasons past, I think we've had we've had some situations where you have guys that aren't necessarily ready to go week one game one, and I don't think that's going to be the case this year. And I am, you know, I, I look at some of the other expectations. I mean, I'm very excited about this bring the fire rule. I've 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 seen a lot of rule implications done um, in the league since its inception, and I think this one kind of tops them all. Um, if it's if it if it looks right on camera and it looks right in the games this is going to be something that definitely changes the sport and something that I think you'll see all-star games in the future maybe go to. I mean, um, having a one-on-one scenario is something that everybody's always dreamed of seeing. I mean, I I, I love to think about watching AI and Kobe go at it one-on-one or watching uh, Michael Jordan and LeBron go one-on-one or Kevin Durant and LeBron. You know, you could go down the list of guys, but I always look at that and say, man, I would love to see that in a game. And I think for the first time ever, we're going to see that. And, you know, this isn't LeBron, this isn't MJ, but we're going to see possibly a, a Frank Nitty versus Will Bynum. We're going to see a Joe Johnson versus Richard Lewis or a Joe Johnson versus Steven Jackson. That's going to be really interesting to watch and see. And that, to me, is the most exciting part this season for, for me. And then also just going to new cities we're going to almost six i think it's six new cities this year it's going to be exciting for for those fan bases to be able to come out to watch this and uh to be able to 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 see what we're all about and hopefully you know the crowds are there and the people are there and supporting this league and um we see it grow and improve just like we did last season
0: i'm definitely looking forward to the bring the fire rule and that's something that i know a lot of people especially on social media have been bringing up the debate of whether or not one-on-one should be brought to the NBA All-Star Weekend or somehow be implemented into basketball. So, of course, the Big Three is bringing it out. So I'm excited for that and just looking forward to the season. Where can our listeners follow you on social media to keep up with all your Big Three coverage?
3: Absolutely. They can follow me at Big 3 on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok now. Thank goodness! Oh I'm, wow! I'm, I'm joining the TikTok movement. I'm not dancing or doing any renegade things or whatever. But uh, maybe I'll try a few when I when I get those things down. I'm not I'm not much of a dancer, and uh, big three players can attest to that because I've been brought out every once in a while, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't really turn out too well for me.
0: Yeah, but that's what makes it fun. It doesn't always have to be <laughs> great dancing. It could be you're having fun being an awful dancer, and that's just There we go.
3: <laughs> there we go. You've got it down. But yes, Omaroni Big Three, wherever you, wherever you, social media, wherever you use your social media, I'm there. And obviously, at the Big Three is our main account, and you can follow us there for all news updates and schedule and tickets and things like that. But uh, thanks again for having me on. No, it was it was a pleasure.
0: Oh no problem. Thank you for joining the show. I'm looking forward to seeing the Big Three in DC, July 11th. And I'm excited to see all the new things that are coming about for 2020. So thank you for joining Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. It's been a pleasure having you on the show.
3: Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I hope you guys are enjoying Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, episode 29 so far. I just want to take this moment to remind you that at the end of the show, we've got Addiction, a band of three entertainers and musicians that are going to be closing down the show. and you are oh, i know people are always asking me where do you get your artists from well i am fortunate to be able to have some incredibly talented artists that i've been networking with and connecting with just like with my guests trying to expand the show's reach and audience to bring you guys some creative innovative different types of personalities whether it's my sports guests my positive vibes only guests or my artists and this week we've got three entertainers gay gay He's a comedian, producer, and Maestro Gertie, also known as Gay Gay, and he has been making some incredible music with over five big hits from the music genre Haitian compa. if I'm saying that correctly, that has hit millions of views across social media platforms, one of the three members of Addiction. Another one, Sun Sun, a producer and musician, Johnson Pettit Home, also known as Sun Sun, a multi-talented musician that's been... Making music since 2004, and a hitmaker in all his productions, he has been working with some of the biggest DJs and artists, and he has never doubted his clients or fans in his work. And then we've got Jello Keys, another produ- producer and musician, Alan Saint Flinn, highly known as Jello Keys, another musician that got started off in the early two, well, the in 2008, I should say, producing music. Like what you're gonna hear at the end of this show. So that is our band of the week, our artists to close the show: Jello Keys, Sun Sun, and Gay Gay. And I hope you're looking forward to seeing their music at the end of this week's show. And it is titled Tequila. So guys, be sure to follow them on social media. They are Gay Gay, Sun Sun, and Jello Keys on on Instagram. You can find them. You can find their music on Twitter at addiction l-i-y-e and i'm i am looking forward to sharing with you guys the great music that i had the pleasure of hearing from these three gentlemen so we'll get back to the show but of course i hope you enjoy the rest of it and are ready for some more incredible topics interviews stories and music for this week's episode of beyond the headlines with renee washington episode 29 all right guys i've talked enough (laughs) back to the show What's up, everyone? Renee Washington here. And thank you so much for being tuned in to Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington right here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and be sure to follow the show every Wednesday for a new episode starting at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Back to the show. Here to join us on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, we've got Caitlin Murray, a sports journalist with Yahoo, The Guardian, and ESPN, also an author of The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed the Game. To talk all things women's soccer, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you here, and I'm curious to know what inspired you to write your book. It came out last April, in April 2019. And of course, women's soccer has had a lot of success. When you look at the world championships, their international success, um, the way that the game is growing. So why now did you decide to write this book back in well, I should say Not now, but back in April 2019, did you decide to publish your book?
4: Yeah, I mean, certainly with the World Cup coming up, uh, 2019 World Cup in France, that was great timing. But I think... Really, overall, the U.S. Women's National Team is such a presence in sports in the United States. I would argue they are the biggest women's sports team, not just in the U.S., but in the world. And no one had ever really told the story of this team. And this is a team that... I think a lot of people have sort of jumped on board in the last few years. Certainly uh, when the team won the World Cup in 2015, they got a lot of new fans. They got a lot of new fans again this summer. But this is a team that has been around since the 80s. And there is a lot that these players went through as athletes, as women. And there was a story to be told there. It was not always, you know the team winning World Cups in France and being on TV and having big endorsement deals, they went through a lot of strife early on. They scraped to get by. Um, They got in fights with the U.S. Soccer Federation over things like, you know, pregnancy discrimination, Mm -hmm. you know, not being paid equally, all those things. So it just seemed like someone needed to tell that story. So... Mm -hmm you know why not me why not uh, right before the world cup when people are were definitely excited to see
0: how the team was going to do in France yeah that makes sense and i saw you had an updated version of your book that came out in october following the world cup championship but as you mentioned it has just been the women the us women's national team has been at the forefront of change in women's sports all yeah. around the world across all sports so that definitely makes sense to me now you also started this book back in the 1980s. You didn't just look at the last three, four years and the most recent success. But in your story, what I what actually stood out to me that I really appreciated as a former soccer player myself is the fact that you went back to the 1980s. And if anyone knows the history of women's soccer, when you look at big names like Bernie Chastain and Mia Hamm and the different people, Christine Lilly, who have played a big part of the growth of the game, you went and incorporated them as well. You know, what made you want to look over the decades versus just, you know, the last four or five years or so?
4: Yeah, it was really important to talk to. Obviously, I wanted to talk to the big names, you know, players like Carly Lloyd, Hope Solo, Alex Morgan. They're in this book. But, you know, like Shannon Higgins was a player on the first ever U.S. Women's National Team. Not a household name, but she had really great stories to tell about, you know, the team just sort of lived on a tiny per diem per day. They weren't being paid anything. They made no money. Uh, players had to give up having jobs. Some of them just had to live with their parents maybe longer than they wanted because they loved playing soccer, and that was the only way it was going to work. Um, so being able to talk to those players and hearing their perspective because these players joined the team in you know the 80s and the 90s, Before it was what we know today as the U.S. Women's National Team, before it became this thing where, you know, every little girl who's playing soccer right now is aspiring to be on the team. In the 80s and 90s, it wasn't like that. There was no money They weren't treated that well by the Federation, and they sacrificed a lot. So these are stories that really just hadn't been told. And so, you know, I want to talk to the big names, but I also wanted to hear the perspective of some players who
0: really sacrificed a lot to be on the team. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That's something that I openly tell people when I decided to step away from soccer and had the opportunity to play in the NWSL, that was something that to me stood out. It's like, you're playing for the love of the game. You're playing, you know, you're not getting the the salary, the accommodations, the professional uh, feel that you might have in other sports, especially in male sports. You mm-hmm. are playing for the love of the game and you're playing for the future generations to have something to look forward to. And that is hard. I mean, as you talk about with how, how the game has progressed for women's soccer and it's the same for all women's sports. You look at where it was 10, 20, 30 years ago to now, there have been improvements, but it's definitely not done yet, you know. And I love that you took time to make, to have these conversations, having over a hundred interview, you know, around a hundred interviews. It's not like it was just a few personalities that you talked to, like you mentioned, with an Alex Morgan or Hope Solo. You went, you talked to hundreds, of, you know, dozens of people, I should say to be able to get so many perspectives. Are there any stories, without spoiling too much, because I don't want to, I know we talked about this before the interview, I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> Are there any stories that you um, re- recall throughout your conversations that really stood out to you as maybe like a surprising, wow, like you you can empathize, you can feel for, the, for that person and what they're sh- saying and, and explaining from their experiences?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting is that Right now, I would say in the current climate, there is a lot of discussion of equal pay and issues around equity and how women are compensated compared to men. The U.S. women's national team has sued U.S. soccer, and that has been really at the forefront of the conversation of women in sports. And it was interesting working on this book, sort of hearing how This lawsuit and this issue now sort of seems like it came out of the blue. No one really knew that the players were so upset with the Federation. But as I worked on this book, I realized they had been laying the groundwork for this lawsuit, for this fight since the very beginning. And it was really interesting Mm -hmm. um, hearing a story where Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm were sitting in a boardroom with the president of U.S. Soccer at the time, Bob Consigulia. And they sat there and they told him to his face, we're never going to play soccer again if you don't treat us better. And, I mean, sort of imagine just sitting in a meeting with your boss and telling him off and saying, look, if you don't treat me better, I'm walking. Like, it took a lot of courage to do that because it's not as if at this time in the 1990s they had backup plans. They, you know – could go play soccer in Europe and make a bunch of money or something. That just wasn't the case. So they were really putting a lot on the line, really putting themselves out there when they did that. And ultimately that worked. I mean, people should read the book to sort of get the full story because there's a lot to it, but that sort of set the groundwork for the women being able to push back against us soccer and, getting better treatment, getting accommodations that were similar to the men, getting payment where they could actually make a living playing soccer. That was sort of, I would say, the start of all of this, and we still see it today. We still see the players advocating for themselves and standing up against U.S. soccer.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that is incredible to have that, that courage to really be able to put your career aside and say, you know what, this is what, this is what we're going to do unless something changes. You know, and, yep. and you talk about two of the best players to ever play women's soccer or just soccer in general that had the 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 strength and belief that they were really willing to put aside their own careers to do what was best for, for the next generations. And mm-hmm. someone that I feel like really embodies that is Megan Rapinoe. I mean, we saw oh, we've yeah. seen her openly advocating and protesting and speaking out on change in women's sports beyond just soccer, but in all women's sports and was rightfully voted FIFA's women best women's player on the planet, but you know, she's someone that, as you talk about all these things, has really taken this fight to the next step and helped it to, to continue and and being someone that you know is is transcendent upon across a lot of different demographics and areas. Mm-hmm. So can yeah. you touch on the work that we've we're seeing now? You've done a lot of coverage on you know the past and leading up to this moment, but as we get into 2020, new decade. Everyone's like, new year, new decade, new me. Um, <laughs> but it is. I feel like there's a huge turning point. We saw the WNBA had their CBA announced. We've mm-hmm. been hearing and seeing a lot of, around women's soccer. I do feel a turning point in women's sports. And Megan Rapino's at the forefront of that.
4: Yeah, I think Megan Rapinoe is someone who, you know, she has been on the team for a long time, but certainly when I wrote my updated version of the book, which sort of, my book ended around 2017, 2018. Mm
0: -hmm. And then my
4: update takes us to now, basically. And there is a ton of Megan Rapinoe in all of the new stuff because she has sort of taken the conversation to another level because she is someone who is willing to kind of lean into all the off Field stuff that's going on. You know, I think everyone who wasn't living under a rock knows about, you know, (laughs) Donald Trump tweeting her during the World Cup and her having to deal with that. And she backed it all up by playing sensationally and being the best player in the World Cup. And she's a really good player and she doesn't let the off the field conversations distract her. She really embraces it. And I think she is the sort of voice that women's soccer needs, women's sports needs, because she is so eloquent and so willing to talk about these issues in a way that is really thoughtful. And I think we have seen that because of not just the success that the U.S. women had in France uh, for the 2019 World Cup, but the fact that they have been willing to openly talk about it and Megan Rapinoe, of course, has been sort of the leader, but they've all been willing to talk about it. I think that has sort of put a new spotlight on these issues. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the equal pay lawsuit that is still going on. I think the trial is set for right before the Olympics. So we'll see what happens with that. But I do think this is sort of a turning point, whereas, Before when the team would have a lot of success or people would be talking about the team, it was sort of seen as just sort of like a surge in popularity, like any team, whereas this feels more like a movement. It feels like it's about something bigger than just soccer. So I expect that to continue. I mean, I I do think if they have success this summer in the Olympics, that would help a lot. But I do think that the conversation has really changed a lot.
2: Yeah,
0: I could not agree more. I mean, that is the biggest thing is um, Megan Rapino is unapologi- unapologetically herself. You know, mm-hmm. she has no no shame, no guilt, no she is openly out there promoting and speaking on behalf of the of the need for change and as you mentioned, it's not just her which makes it even more powerful. You know, it's a united front in the fact that everyone is on social media at different events, whether that is a sporting event or whatever it may be, you know, just taking time to continue to push the needle and push the conversation. So I'm curious for you, having worked so closely over the years with these interviews and the stories that you've been getting, you know, aside from all the um, perspectives and experiences you've gotten specifically from the soccer side, for the change side of things, because we are, as we talk about this in the process of watching change in women's and sports in front of us, like it's, it's happening as we speak, it's constantly yeah. evolving, it's constantly progressing. So what are some of your biggest takeaways that you took from these conversations for women, for change in all women's sports and just for women in general, I think it's beyond sports, but even a position of power and women, equality, female, equal, like equality with men and, being looked at the same way, not being treated as less than, but being treated as equals or even superiors. Um, What are those those (laughs) main takeaways that you had from these conversations that kind of influence others to continue to push the needle and push the conversation?
4: Yeah, I think one thing that we've seen is the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team has, you know, as I mentioned, they've been quietly sort of working on some of these issues since the eighties and in more recent years, they sort of embraced being a leader. And we've seen that in the U S women's national team offering advice to the hockey players for uh, the national team to WNBA players. You know, they just had a new CBA come out that, you know, the players were very pleased with and they sought advice from some players on the soccer team and, and, You know, you look at USA Hockey, that's actually talked about in my book because in the 90s, the soccer team was trying to convince the hockey team to do the same things they were doing. In the 90s, the players organized boycotts and they did all sorts of things to sort of uh, gain leverage Mm -hmm. and be compensated fairly, but the hockey team couldn't stay united. They were scared to do that. But now we've seen, you know, they've sort of gotten their act together a little bit. They've listened to the advice of the soccer team and now they're doing a lot better. They're actually getting paid to play hockey and they can make a living. So I think that the U S women's national soccer team has been really influential in this and even just in soccer other national teams are being more willing to speak out and you know boycott we've seen it with brazil colombia um in denmark they achieved uh, a deal where the women were getting paid equally to the men we're seeing it a lot more and i think that the US women's national team is a really good sort of entry point into these conversations because they have been so successful. They are household names. People love them. Um, you know, players like Carly Lloyd or Alex Morgan, like they're stars. Like people know who they are and they want to hear what they have to say. So I think that it's a nice way to sort of have that conversation um, because. I mean, it's not just female athletes. It's women, women in general, women in the workplace, uh,
5: exactly. the Me
4: Too movement. Yes. Like, there are a lot of other aspects to this. But the U.S. Women's National Team, I think, is a good entry point into this conversation just because their success is undeniable. Their merit of being paid equally or fairly is just indisputable. So I think they've really been sort of leaders uh, in this conversation.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I love that you brought up the fact that in the past, the women's national team tried to get the hockey team on board to help bring them along as well. But that speaks to in itself the way that things have changed. You know, I feel like now a lot of people aren't scared to speak up. They aren't scared, especially with social media. Social media mm-hmm. gives you so much power and so much. You you have a voice, even if People try not to give you one. You can speak out and you can show images and videos or whatever you decide to do to promote, you know, what it is that you're pushing. Whereas in the past, it may have felt like, especially looking at women's sports or just in general, hockey's over here, women's soccer's over here, basketball's here, softball's here, and everyone's in their own box when their own struggle. Whereas now it's like, you know, what? we might play a different sport, but we're all having the same underlying issue within our sports. But mm-hmm. so that, yep. that speaks a lot to the growth and the the unification of of how much this movement really has transcended to new to new heights. That is incredible. Yeah,
4: yeah there's a lot of cooperation in women's sports. I think you think of sports as being this ultra competitive thing, mm-hmm. but the women on the U.S. women's national team sort of understand that like they're stronger united than they are divided and. Actually, USA Hockey uh, waged a protest. They they organized a boycott against USA Hockey a few years ago, and it was essentially out of the playbook of the U.S. women's national team. And I, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was 2000, 2001. They organized a boycott where they got every player, not just national team players, but under 23, under 20, all the youth players, They got everyone to boycott a tournament that U.S. soccer wanted them to go to in Australia. And U.S. soccer was sort of backed up against the wall. They didn't have a team to send. They knew that they couldn't keep doing this. So what hockey did just a few years years ago was the same thing. They got all the youth hockey players to agree, we're not going to play for USA hockey until they start treating us better. And it was sort of an updated version, like you said, with social media. They use social media to sort of amplify their message. But it was sort of out of the playbook of what the U.S. Women's National Team did back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So there's a lot of cooperation and just sort of like, we're in this together. Let's learn from each other and help each other. Because, you know, if one women's team can do better, it's going to help all women's teams. Female athletes are all facing the same challenges. So let's help each other.
0: Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. Well, Caitlin, where can our listeners keep up with all that you're doing and your sports coverage, as well as checking out your book? Where can they find all that information? Yeah, for people who want to check out my book,
4: you can go to uswntbook.com. That stands for U.S. Women's National Team. And then on Twitter, I'm at Caitlin Murr, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-M-U-R-R.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining the show this week. It's been a pleasure having you here on me on the headlines with Renee Washington. And I hope we can continue to not only have this conversation, but be talking about. Remember when there was a time that (laughs) we were fighting for equality, fighting for equal salary and everything like that. And now women's sports are there just like every just treated the exact same way as male sports. So hopefully we are seeing another turn of the corner. So thank you so much.
4: Yeah, no problem. I look forward to coming on your show again and reminiscing about (laughs) back in the day (laughs) when these fights were going on. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: It is officially the month of February, if for some reason you forgot. But with that being said, not only are we celebrating Valentine's Day and President's Day this month, we are also celebrating Black History Month. So every day, I will be sharing a different Black History fact on social media. The fact of the day will will show off and highlight something that a different African American man or woman has done in music, sports, art, entertainment, you name it, I'm sharing it. Trying to help you guys stay connected to black history as we celebrate this month. So be sure to give us a follow on all social media. Beyond the headlines with Renee Washington is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. I also have my personal pages at Renee P. Wash on Twitter, at Renee P. Washington on Facebook and Instagram. All right, it is time for our Positive Vibes Only segment. Perfect time to get into positive vibes, impacting, influencing, trailblazing, as we are just talking about Black History Month and the incredible people that have done that over the centuries. So now it is time to hear Speedo Mick and his story and all that he's doing over in London. Time for our Positive Vibes Only segment this week on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Joining us from Australia, we have Shivala Dharma, a visionary, mystic, and author. Welcome to the show, Shivala.
5: Thank you so much, Renee. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us all the way from Australia. You are um, our first guest from Australia, so I'm happy to have you here.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Very good.
0: Um, so I love the title, Visionary, Mystic, and Author where did mystic and visionary come to that versus a spiritual leader? You know, what really made you take on that shift? You were prior to the interview telling me how you're shifting your title a little bit. Um, But I love that. It's, it's innovative and it seems like it's more um, it's deeper than just being a spiritual leader. So can you give us a little background on that?
5: I think it's because during the last several months we have been seeing a lot of people arising and calling themselves spiritual teachers mm. or integrating the, um, the narrative and the rhetoric of being a spiritual teacher, life coach and all that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are so much functioning as what you'd call a really ordained uh, spiritual teacher that has had a true self Awakening, say, self-realization, basically. And I would say that, that my work is not really so much about teaching. It is more about inviting people into that mystery of the presence of love itself. So it is more of a mystic path that I function through, so to speak. I like to invite people into having a direct experience of that myst, mystic realm of life, that is an actual fact, is within everybody, to start with. So I act as a catalyst for that, a mirror for that, and I will speak, but not so much to respond to questions, although I will respond to questions, but more so to give a person back to themselves, for them to recognise what do they know, what are they perceiving in this very living moment themselves. That they could bring their awareness to rather than me giving them an answer.
0: Oh, okay. So you're helping people to find that. And something I love that finding that inner peace and finding themselves instead of telling them who they are, essentially. So that's right. That's I'm right. curious to know, and uh, for our listeners especially, what really got you into this to, to begin with? I mean, you've spent the last 25 years teaching you know, attending workshops, holding trainings and events, what really inspired you to go about the world? You're not just working in Australia, you're all over the world as an advocate for helping people find that inner peace and, and be more loving and, and united. And especially with the craziness that's in our world today to be a voice of change.
5: Right. Um, So in response to that question, I could easily go over a very short synopsis of all the certain points that have occurred in my life. However, a lot of that information is already on my website and it's in other podcasts as well. But what I would say to you, which is the deepest truth for me, is that the intelligence of love, the mystery of love itself, is constantly impulsing me. It's moving me. It's wanting to express itself through me to be able to reach out to other brothers and sisters, regardless of their culture or nationality, is just to be able to share, to help others to to embrace their suffering, to embrace their life path, to be able to know that they have the capacity to transform in this very lifetime. So love is moving me all the time in that respect. So it fills me with a great joy for that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's very dedicated in its focus. And I may seem very somber or very serious at times. However, it is still the intelligence, the mystery of love that is moving me. That's the deepest truth for me.
0: Ooh, I like that. I like that. And something that also stood out to me is that you actually had a spiritual awakening through a near-death experience when you nearly died in a car accident. And through that that moment in your life, that life changing experience, you were able to come about some ways to really change your your focus and change your approach to life, to be able to get out of that that um, tough time, and to be able to be more positive and find that peace. So, what are the strategies that you found through your near death experience that helped you get through that time of pain and and just? I can only imagine how devastating that must have been for you and for your family to be able to overcome it and be more positive moving forward.
5: Well, I must pay homage uh, in this moment to my father and my mother, Mm. because they were great inspiration for having to live tremendous adversity as they grew up, having lived tremendous amount of violence and abuse and lack of as well. And so they had a tremendous focus and, my father's focus for us was always stay positive and always give your best, be total in whatever you do. So originally, before the car accident, when I was playing competition basketball, competition football as well, in the same week, I had already as a teenager that tremendous drive and focus and passion to go for the ball not not to beat another person, but just to go for the board, to give my best, to be total in that moment. So when I died in the car accident, it was like an turning inside out, upside down. Everything changed. But those values that were there implanted within my psyche previously, they were still there. And mm-hmm. so that... That coupled with this whole new vision of life, being able to actually see more subtly, you could say, being able to have a recognition that there is more to life than what I had perceived or believed in or programmed with prior to this, was awakening another level of energy. Through basketball and football, I experienced amazing levels of energy in what they call the second wind. The second layers of energy, even as a teenager. Well, after the death experience, it was like another third level of energy awakening in my body. So I would experience tremendous ecstatic joy out of the blue for no reason at times. And I would have to run from one bed, room to the next in the house, or if I'm walking down the street, running quickly down the street because The energy was just so overwhelming. But I knew at the time it was likened to that of playing football or basketball. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it had another dimensional reality that was infusing it with tremendous, just pure joy. And I could sense that it's like the spirit of life was surrounding me and saying, yes, you are loved as you are. Run. Dance, sing, you are loved as you are. And I could feel this. And so it would just give me more, more um, joy, basically, mm-hmm. all the time.
0: I love it. And the, the incredible thing about this, and this is something that I really try to also encourage and, and get people to realize is, you know, when, in order to go about these changes to find more joy and be happier and find those moments where you're like, I'm just, you're just happy. You know and you want to scream it from the rooftop it it just starts with a change in perspective and i think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that the steps to being happier don't always equate to having to do something incredibly taxing on you physically mentally financially you know it's not a matter of having to change something big it could be a subtle small change that goes a long way and i know you have your first you have a book coming out in the spring of 2020 so coming up deep peace beyond suffering i love that title um, and I, it, I feel like it embodies everything that you are standing for in your work. So can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect in your book and maybe even some st- tips or strategies? I don't want to give too much away, but to encourage people to want to go out and check out your book, what can we expect in Deep Peace Beyond Suffering?
5: Well, let's, let's go back to that moment after the car accident there I am experiencing this awakening of incredible joy and moments of deep peace spontaneously happening. Yet I was in a household with the family where during the last three years from 19 to 22, there was a considerable amount of suffering happening um, within my mother, my father, between my siblings and my parents. So we were in the middle of like, it felt like a war zone at times. And yet there were great moments and great days as well. But in that extraordinary amount of suffering, I had to rely upon going within finding that stillness again. And those moments would occur when I'm in the middle of say a suffering moment with the family being in like, such craziness. We had to, my brothers and I had to walk out of the house just to get away from the madness. And, um, but as soon as I come back in, I'd be practicing meditation mm. in, my be- in my bedroom. And so it was literally the art of being still, the art of breath awareness that would actually constantly support that peace that was arising already through the car accident. It was, you could say, illuminating it even more and making it more palpable whilst in the middle of that suffering milieu, you could say. So in reality, both realities, both truths were happening. There was great suffering, and there was great peace. And so it really showed me that it's not necessary that we have to get free of all of our suffering and transform or transmute everything, it's about being dedicated to finding that peace in the middle of darkness. You could say finding the light within the middle of the darkness and learning how to work to work and to live within this paradox that we call life. So that gave me a tremendous amount of insight. So I also then started to uh, introduce one of the meditations, which was gazing at a candle. Because I read on the Internet uh, not Internet, but in a book one day the Internet wasn't around at the time, actually. but I read in a book something about a very ancient candle-gazing meditation
2: mm-hmm.
5: called Tratak." So I started practicing this meditation. And this adds to this is also illuminated within the book as well. You'll find that as well. In the gazing of the candle. It did the most extraordinary thing you could ever imagine, especially for, what, a 21 going on to 22-year-old man just entering my adult life. All of a sudden, after about three months of this candle, uh, candle gazing, I blew out the candle, watched the image of it in my forehead, which is around what they refer to as the third eye region, and all of a sudden, it started to spread out. And filled the whole of my head, and it intensified and intensified. Then it started to fill my whole. and a peacefulness was emerging from all of this as well, another level of peace. But then it started to fill my whole body. And it just kept expanding and expanding until finally my body form dissolved. All that there was was me as an awareness sitting on a chair with no awareness of even a chair, for that matter, anymore. Mm-hmm. But I was aware of sitting, in a sense, in the, I was in the middle of formless light that had an extraordinary blissfulness that was with it. And in that moment, it was like being at home. It's like, oh, I know this. I know this. And I was ready to disappear forever, it felt like. I, did, I didn't need anything else. It felt like perfection, absolute perfection.
0: Mm. Wow.
5: And, but, in that, but all of a sudden, it was like a message from life came, arose and said, no, you're not ready. It's not time. Life was indicating to me, we need you to be here still. I need to share this. So then I had to remember how to breathe. How to feel my body again, come back into my bodily consciousness. Then I lie down on the bed and just said good night, world. Well, and that was it. And then I woke <laughs> up in the morning. Wow. So, and that—that's never that that re- remembrance, the sweetness, the beauty of that, has never left me. You can you can never forget something like that, and it reminded me of the quote. From the Bible, even though I'm not a, uh, what do you call a Christian per se, although I've read a great deal of the Bible, of course, in my own time amongst many other Eastern books, when thine two eyes become one, thy body will be filled with light. And of, co- of course, that light is the light of divine love. It can be no other.
0: Wow, that is that's incredible, and thank you for sharing that. And, and such, like I feel like I could picture everything that you're saying, and can feel everything that you're saying, as you're describing it. So well, I think. Renee, it's, go ahead.
5: May I just add to that? Actually, absolutely, go for as, it. Thank you. Um, as I am as I am describing, I'm glad you said that too, because as I'm describing it something starts happening to my body as I'm sitting here and I feel like my physical density starts to become a little bit more what's referred to as ethereal and it's like slightly trembling a little bit more than normal and it's like bubbly, tingling lemonade throughout my body. So I can sense that there's another kind of energetic transmission of that experience every time I recall it and I describe it. It's like I'm, trans, I'm being transported back into that state to some degree and I'm able to share that with another human being again, mm-hmm. with you for, for a matter. So whenever anybody's really listening and focusing in on this, it may inspire them. And that's what I want to do in the first place, but it's not a planned transmission. It's just a spontaneous transmission, so to speak, that's occurring um, from the great mystery of life once again. So thank you for inviting me to share this. Much oh, absolutely.
0: I thank you for sharing this and, and giving us a, a little insight into what to expect. So along with your book that is being released this spring, what else can we expect from you in the future? What else can you share with us that you have coming up this year for 2020?
5: Right. Okay. So my next event is a one-day uh, residential retreat, you could say, which is on the Gold Coast, mm. and it's called Unity Within Oasis. And the Unity Within Oasis is like a precursor, a preparation, uh, a pre-education of, for the Unity Within, Unity in Community uh, meetups that we're going to be holding more and more as well as a unity within unity in community, um, you could say webinars, basically, a series of them. I, my heart is feeling very strong to inspire others to really know what does community really mean? What are the real values of community? And I don't mean just a social community. I mean real spiritual community. What does it really take? What can it provide in terms of support for others? And that's also, once again, that's another stepping stone to an educational program that I've already begun many years ago, but I'm now just bringing out into the world, which is called Emissary of Peace, Humanitarian Conscious Leadership Education Training. Mm. So that's Emissary of Peace, Humanitarian Conscious Leadership Education, and that. That is a program in order to provide a template for leaders, how they can become an emissary, an ambassador, in other words, of peace, and to be able to be that representative for peace through whatever vocation may be their expertise or their particular skills set or whatever their gift is, so they know how to be a true emissary of peace in the world because the way i see it and the way that mo- many many people are recognizing now peace is missing so much globally it is not funny mm-hmm. so that that is my that is my vision is how to bring this educational program into the world under the umbrella title of emissary of peace
0: wow and i think something you touch on is the fact that all over the world it's it's not exclusive to here I am in New Jersey in the United States, or for you in Australia, this is something that we all need to be better at finding ways to, we speak about world peace, but what are we actually doing to to work towards world peace? And what I like about what she just mentioned is the fact that you're now taking what you've learned, what you've experienced, to now teach other leaders to be able to be ambassadors of peace, to be able to to expand. So now it's beyond, you're not the only one working, traveling all over the world to do so, but you have... People around you that are doing the same thing and, and paying it forward to include others that also want to help and, and really selflessly help in this journey for peace in the world. When yes, we all know it's right. much needed.
5: <laughs> that's right, Renee. And if I may just add to that a bit more too, the this is why I'm bringing out these events called M- uh, Unity Within Oasis. Because in order to really know and experience unity and community, one has to know unity within. So when anybody can start to contact that unity within and dedicate their life to that, they become an oasis for others. You provide an oasis. So even if we're providing, say, a 30-minute webinar on, say, Zoom online, I still refer to that as being an oasis because that is an oasis. Mm -hmm. Even for 30 minutes, it may be a a moment where it might just save somebody else's life from a catastrophe or even committing suicide or a severe trauma that they can barely deal with. So Mm -hmm. the unity within is vitally important in order to experience unity in community, to be able to know peace within. That's why the book is called Deep Peace Beyond Suffering, but not to negate suffering. It's to embrace the suffering totally and to walk with that so that you can know peace that is in the depths of our being, our own essential being, in order to then be able to bring peace into the world. All the political strategies in the world right now are contrary to, truly to the alchemy, to the chemistry of peace. To bring peace into the world, you must be able to demonstrate that you can embody peace Mm
2: -hmm. and that
5: you can speak the language of true peace. That's an absolute necessity. It's existential. It's got nothing to do with philosophy or religion. It's just simply an existential fact.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree more with you. So where can our listeners follow you I, along with your website? Where, where where can they follow on your journey to keep up with all that you're doing across the world?
5: We have just gone and uh, re-uploaded, um, I think about 20 or more YouTube videos that have been um, taken from a number of uh, podcasts and interviews over the last few years. I had my youtube channel down for some time whilst we were doing a lot of um renovation so to speak (laughs) and so that's just gone up i after this call i will send that link to you and then you can always post that it is also it will be put up on my website very soon as well and of course my website is shivala.com which is s-h-i-v-a-l-l-a-h.com and so, the YouTube channel will be uh, reinstated, but up on that website as well.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, Shivala, thank you so much for taking time to join us from Australia. I am happy to hear about all the exciting things you're doing to help spread peace. your book that's going to be released this spring, and I'm looking forward to seeing what lies ahead in the future for you as you're being you know you're walking the walk that you are talking, so being an, an embodying peace and world peace is incredible and continue to do that. I'm, I respect it. I appreciate it. And I hope that more people are inspired because of you to do so. So thank you so much for joining us for our Positive Vibes Only segment. Thank,
5: thank you, Renée. And what, well done for having such a, a wonderful podcast show as well and be able to invite people such as myself. What a great service you are providing also for humanity. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you. Just like that, we are coming up to the end of episode 29 of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. We got into a lot of different discussions about the innovation and growth of the big three with Oliver Maroney of the league, talking about what we can expect in 2020. We talked about the U.S. women's national team and what they're doing to not only change the game of soccer, but women's sports as Caitlin Murray, an author and journalist, got into her work behind her book and what she's been seeing in the growth of the game. We had our Positive Vibes Only segment as Shivala from Australia shared his incredible story. He is out in the world bringing world peace. We talk about it, what we want out of life, what we want out of the world, world peace, but Shivala is out there doing what he can, whether it's impacting just one person or dozens of people through his work to coach and teach others how to go about living a positive life. And now... It is time to close down the show. I hope you guys are locked in to Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington each and every Wednesday, starting at 12 p.m. Eastern time. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on Fox Sports, 96.9 FM, 1340 AM. And, of course, across all social media, Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can follow my personal pages on Facebook, and Instagram at Renee P. Washington, and on Twitter at Renee P. Wash. So this week, we've got a band. They go about recreating music. They're a trio of talented artists and entertainers. It's Gay Gay, Sun Sun, and Jello Keys from Florida closing down this week's episode. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We are already at the end of February. That's insane how fast time is flying by. We were just opening up with our first episode of the month and here we are closing out the month and i'm excited for what is to come down the line for the show we've got some more great and talented artists guests personalities just so much more to come moving forward so be sure to tune in right here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM 1340 AM iTunes Google Play and Spotify i cannot stress it enough <laughs> for another episode of beyond the headlines with Renee Washington I hope you guys have a great day, week. Closing out the month of February, Black History Month has been a special one. And I look forward to seeing you guys right back here next Wednesday. You know the time, starting at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So addiction, gay, gay, sun, sun, and jello keys to close it down. Take it away.
1: Headlines, this is beyond the headlines. (laughs) Only on beyond the headlines, this is beyond the headlines. (laughs) Only on beyond the headlines, this is beyond the headlines. We're in a watch.